This is an audio version of the 24th annual DICE Awards Roundtable Series. To watch the video of this episode, please visit youtube.com slash official AIAS. Brought to you by the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, this is the award celebration by game makers for game makers, honoring the games that connect players around the globe. No matter where we come from or what our interests, video games bring us together. We gather here to honor our fellow creators and the very best of interactive entertainment. Welcome to the 24th Annual Dice Awards. Welcome to the 24th Annual Dice Awards and the conversation with our nominees around the outstanding achievement in character. Uh, these are the creators who's voted by, by their peers to be at the top of their game. Uh, let's do some introductions and talk a little bit about their games as well. Coming in from Assassin's Creed Valhalla, we have Darby McDevitt. How are you doing, Darby? Doing well, thanks. Good. Give the folks at home a little bit of info about yourself and the work you've done. Yeah, I'm. Uh, so I've been in the game industry about 21 years. First got a job in uh, just outside Seattle, Washington, um, uh, at the age of 23, writing uh, for a, a cool children's sports game called the Backyard Series of Backyard Sports. So backyard football, backyard baseball, stuff like that. Um, and over the that 10 years, the first 10 years, I, I, I slowly got more into game writing, um, some level design. And in, in about 2009, um, the company I was working for was called by Ubisoft um, to do a portable Assassin's Creed game um, that was kind of a sequel to the very first one. And I wrote that and another Assassin's Creed game that year for, for the Nintendo DS. And that sort of just ushered me over into the writing for this uh, amazing series that's been going on for a long time now. Uh, so I've been on the Assassin's Creed series 12 years. I moved to Montreal to work at the main uh, Ubisoft Montreal studio in 2011. And since I've been there, I, I wrote Assassin's Creed Revelations, Black Flag. Um, I got to kill Ezio in the movie Embers. And, uh, and, uh, and then uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, for which I was the narrative director and, and did a lot of writing as well. So um, it's it's a it's a nice capper to about twelve years of Assassin's Creed. I'm, I'm so excited to have you here. I'm sad about Ezio. We will have discussions <laughs> about that at some other point uh, sure, down sure. the road. <laughs> Coming in from the crew from Hades, we have Darren Corb. What's going on, Darren? How's everything? Hey, how's it going? I'm doing okay. <laughs> good, good, good. Give the folks at home as well a little bit of info about you as well. Yeah, I'm the audio director for Supergiant Games. Uh, I we're a small crew over there, and I do all of the audio stuff: music, uh, sound design, voiceover direction. And in Hades, I also play the character of Zagreus. Thank you so much wow. for being here. From the Last of Us Part Two, we have Hallie Gross. How are you doing, Hallie? Hey, I'm good. How are you? Good, good, good. Excited to have you here. Uh, give the folks at home a little bit of info about yourself as well. Uh, okay, I am a writer. Uh, I was the co-writer and narrative lead on The Last of Us Part Two, which was the first, uh, my first foray into video games. And before that, I was uh, a Hollywood gal writing for TV and film, doing a bunch of badass stuff, which was great, but having a great time in games. Hype, hype, hype to have you here. Excited to talk about Last of Us as well. Uh, and rounding out our crew from Marvel's Spider-Man Miles Morales, we have Ben Arfman. How you doing, Ben? Hey, I'm good, man. How you doing? Good, good, good. And Najee Jeter, how you doing, Najee? How's everything, man? It's going great, man. How you doing? Doing well, doing well. Ben, give the folks at home a little info on you as well. Uh, yeah, so I uh, just recently got into video games, I guess recently, like four years ago, right? But so worked on the first Spider-Man title as a writer, 
Then on Miles Morales, I was the lead writer. And basically, I'm just lucky enough to be riding Najee's coattails uh, with his incredible talent. <laughs> Najee, that's that's a that's a layup for you. Give the folks it's a whole sniffle on you as well. It's opposite, man. I, I, I definitely couldn't have done this without them, man. I definitely could have done it without them. But uh, definitely have um, come a long way from, um, you know, just being in, in this Matrix type of world. You know, uh, definitely started off with The Last of Us Part 1 at age, um, I want to say 15, 16, and then uh, grew from there and ended up getting Spidey, uh, Spidey 1, um, I want to say when I was 18. And um, we grew with the Miles character, and then you know, now we're here now doing Miles Morales, and uh, we're continuing with this journey, and I can't wait to show y'all more. The greatness in this room is evident. It is easy, easy, easy to see it all, all the way around. Um, first question for all of you is, is, is one that's going to be for all of you to, to kind of dig into. But, you know, having these conversations around character, what, what makes in your mind a really good character, a really fantastic or great one? You know, and, and how do you kind of bring the, the attributes that you're thinking about, you know, to the games that you've had a chance to write on or act in? Um, Ben, I'm going to go to you really quickly first and, and, and then kind of combo off that with Najee afterwards. But I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts about, you know, what makes a great character? Yeah. Oh, man, that's like really a uh, hard question to answer. I'm excited to hear what smarter people in the room have to say aside from <laughs> me. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, for us, we're working on Marvel titles. So I think my answer is probably very different than what maybe some of the other people here would say. But the thing that we really hinge on is we're looking for aspirational characters and especially with the Miles game, you know, a big thing for us was from the very beginning, we really wanted to celebrate Miles as a character, you know, he's the child of an African-American father, Puerto Rican mother. And it was really, really important to us that anytime a player picked up our game and saw themselves in Miles or one of the people in his life recognized someone that they care about, that they felt really, really good about that moment of recognition. And they felt like, you know, it, it made them feel good about themselves and their lives. So at least for us, that's a thing that we really focus on is making sure that we get the representation right and we present aspirational characters that refe reflect well on the people that they resemble. Najee, your thoughts as the person who embodied the mask and embodied the suit, uh, you know, what are your thoughts about, you know, what, what, breaks, what makes a great character? My main thing was uh, just to make him relatable to uh, what what Miles was going through at the time. He was just getting out of puberty as a young man and then getting a huge responsibility to take on of, uh, with with his own city and then with in, in, within his family as well, too. You know, uh, a lot of things change. You know, his father passed away, so he has a certain type of, you know, mannerism about him that he has to carry now that switches up. He has to protect his mom, protect his family. And then also he has this huge, huge power and responsibility to, to take to take part of. So the thing is, I wanted to make him as human as possible and to make him relatable as far as if we're going through that, if we're all just, you know, having the day to day basis of, of waking up and showering, but then having this, you know, outlook on the world of, you know, you're, you're a little different when you walk out those doors. So just having all of that in mind and then just keeping him a kid keeping them, keeping them genuine, keeping them lovable and, you know, just having all that and then having the people love them too, because, you know, with that power, you can be two ways, you know what I mean? You can go the good way or the bad way. And, you know, Miles is, is definitely learning from Pete, learning the, the, the mistakes that, you know, uh, Pete has made and then trying to 
switch up his mistakes. So it's just, it's it's the perfect perfect balance of just being an everyday human and what we're going through with you know this COVID stuff and just you know everything is just yeah <laughs> the changes the changes about life. But um yeah, I think my main thing was making Miles human and relatable. I love that. I love that, Hallie. I'm I'm curious to hear your thoughts because you know you had to to dig into multiple characters that are beloved uh, in that it's space. A tiny cast. What are you talking about? You know, just one or two folks, and you know, doing doing things in the world of The Last of Us too. I'm I'm curious to hear your thoughts about you know what makes a good character, a great character, by that, and, and, and kind of what are the attributes that go along with that. Oh my gosh. Well, I don't know. If, um, I think a the guys just answered beautifully, but also like. To, to yes and what they've already said, it's, you know, how are they flawed? When you're building a character, you wanna build them holistically. You wanna think about where did they come from? What do they care about? What do they hope for? What are they lying to themselves about? And, you know, looking at The Last of Us Part Two as an example, so many times our characters were their own worst enemy, were their own greatest antagonist. So how can you create a character that has both light and dark, good and bad, and still make you kind of want to step in their shoes every step of the way. And even if you don't agree with their decisions, understand why they're making those decisions and that those decisions feel valid for them. Mm. I love love the fact you kind of dug into the flawed part of that, right? Which I think is also very, very important. Um, Darren, I think that that would would lend to a lot of the characters that you find in in Hades for sure. You know, what are your your thoughts about that as well? Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I agree with with everything that's been said. I mean, I think relatability is something that I look for a lot, and and authenticity in the characters, and and even in the more fantastical the character, the more important that is. Almost, it's like we we're dealing, you know, in Hades with Greek gods and stuff. But the thing that makes them interesting is not their lightning powers; it's their humanity and their flaws and their quirks and their idiosyncrasies. And digging into all of that stuff, I think. And making them as specific as possible, I think, is is really um, is really fun. And, and another thing that I'm always interested in is playing with the expectations that people may have about something, and then subverting those in an interesting way. Um, whether it's in music or in character and, uh, and other stuff, you know, I'm not the writer. Greg Kasavin is our extremely talented mm. writer at Supergiant, um, but I always love any opportunity to sort of set up an expectation, lean into an expectation the player may have, and then sort of subvert it in an exciting, surprising way. Darby, has, has that conversation changed for you at all in terms of, you know, the, the basis of a character like Ivor kind of in the grander screen, grander scope of the Assassin's Creed world? Has that, has the idea of what makes a good character or, or a great one changed at all for you? No, I think everyone's answered really well, and and I think everyone's covered the the, you know the 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 rudiments. Um, yeah. I, the thing about Assassin's Creed is, we also because we draw so much from history, and often we go quite far back in history. When you're doing research about these time periods, you find that there's a mix of you know how people are the same. You know, the as far as you can go back, you know, you can go back two three thousand years. But then there's also these crucial differences that you try to draw out. And, and a challenge for us is how to, how to highlight these differences to, to, um, to, uh, to make you embody a character that's quite different from somebody you'd meet today, uh, but also make you want to, uh, want to embody it. You want to do the things that this character does. You want to play the way that this character believes. So, for instance, um, with Eivor being a, a, a pe- pagan, 
uh, from an, a Norse culture um, in, a, in a society that's all based around honor and shame rather than like the more sort of monotheistic virtue and sin. We tried to create a character that, that worries about things that maybe we don't worry about, about um, you know, being the ultimate warrior and going to Valhalla and dying on the battlefield, those kinds of things you associate with Vikings. How do we, how do we get the player in those shoes and how do we get you to want to um, um, uh, carry out these actions and behave like this character and still be relevant to a more modern audience? Um, same thing with, with uh, you know, pirates. Uh, we tried to be in Black Flag. We tried to give you a sense of what piracy actually was like. But in some cases, when you actually read, you're like, oh, those are not very good people. So we, <laughs> we, need, we, need, to, we need to find a, a balance to show this is how they're different. But this is also how they're human. And we, want to, um, and we want to strike that balance. And ultimately, when it's an interactive medium, too, we want to figure out how do, you, how do we get the player to want to do these things um, without feeling terrible? Um, mm. with Vikings, it was difficult because there are some aspects of Viking culture that are unsavory. And, um, sometimes we have, we, we, we treat them lightly or we, um, or we go full steam ahead. Uh, it's, it's, it's tricky, but it's fun. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious and I'm, and I'm happy you kind of talked about the humanness in that, in that part of the conversation. You know, there's some, some through lines across, you know, a lot of, you know, person's kinds experiences on this planet and in, in virtual and in real and in real life. Um, I'm curious to hear really quickly from you about how that kind of changed the way you all from a team perspective thought about character development and, and, and how, you know, you see games as a medium for furthering the way we talk about character development kind of as a, as a whole. That one is, that one is for you, Darby. Okay. <laughs> that's a, that's an even bigger question. Um, it's it's interesting because I, I find the interactivity part um, is is a very fun challenge uh, to to wrestle with. And I actually, now that uh, um, Hallie's here, I actually want to ask a, a question after I'm done talking because it's actually one of the most interesting questions I think uh, Last of Us brings up that I that I want to get to. But um, the interactivity part is interesting because especially all of us in this room we're we're, we're balancing between creating a fixed character but also we're in this medium where we let players kind of express themselves through various mechanics and means right i know in hades i played a lot of hades and i get to sort of design my zagras right like i get to design it whether he has more health or he fights with this weapon and things like that but it's cool he also has a fixed character and, and there are certain games we that was a huge argument with how far do we go showing a fixed character versus how much do we let you create the character mm. um the other thing too is that there's there's quite a lot of talk in in games about you know um the hero's journey or typical character arcs and things we did something in valhalla where we actually looked back to older models and quite quite obscure models we actually based our story structure around the old icelandic sagas or even maybe more slightly more modern uh, stories like Don Quixote, which is like a picaresque, they don't actually have plots or, or really, you know, well-defined plots. It's a more of a series of episodes that continually bashes against themes, um, you know, like heroism, leadership, uh, uh, loss, betrayal, these kinds of things. And because Valhalla is so long, and but you can explore every corner of it, we, we tried a, a game where we didn't rely on the typical sort of um, 
hero's journey, the three-act structure, whatever, we really let you wander around at your leisure um, and tackle lots of stories in different orders, um, which is always the, the bane of a good structure, uh, <laughs> this sort of player choice. But we really, in the end, we came out with a, a story that feels a lot like if you were reading, there's this famous story called Egil's Saga, which is like a, a 12th century uh, Icelandic saga about this bastard named Egil. And he's, he's a deeply unsavory person, but he's also like a poet and everything. And we tried to, we wanted to make a modern saga and let you kind of go through it. And, and what that meant was sacrificing some of the hard driving plot development for thematic development. Um, and I think that's uh, that's something that's interesting in games is, is that you don't have to always have that that you know that fast moving plot. Um, so I'll switch to my question. My question about uh, is really in, an interesting one because how I wanted to, like discussions on the the, the the floor of the last of us uh, development team, you created these two characters who are at odds with one another and you're asking people to switch between them. I hope that's not a spoiler, but, um, and what I find very fascinating is the, is the, uh, is the, I don't know if you felt this while you were making it the, because when you're playing somebody, you're like, I want to win, right? I want to, I want to accomplish sure. the goals. I want to accomplish the goals that the game has set out for me with this character. But then you're like, boop, now I switch to this character and the goal is diametrically opposed to the previous one. And sure. that, there's a tension there, which I found interesting. And I just was like, tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, look, we were very aware of it. And we tried different structures as we were developing the game. We tried intercutting both girls back and forth by day. We tried, um, I mean, sort of all different kinds of things. But this felt like you were understanding more the arc of each girl and how they sort of mirrored isn't quite the right word because it's like as one yeah. girl is going down one girl is sort of coming up in terms of redemption mm -hmm. um but we knew and we wanted it to be that when you i mean again we're talking spoilers a little bit but when you switched mm -hmm. into playing abby that there was this discomfort and there was there were these preconceived notions right because so much of the game is about coming to empathize or at least sympathize with the other and tribalism and trying to understand somebody else's perspective. So we wanted you to come into that bias. We wanted you to feel that discordance and, and discomfort. Um, and then the challenge for us, the fun challenge, the exciting challenge was to try and earnestly earn, um, not necessarily love for Abby, because some people don't love Abby, but an understanding of Abby, maybe a, a sympathy toward mm -hmm. Abby and why she is who she is and how she became who she is and the trajectory and the decision she's making. Mm -hmm. So we sort of embraced that discomfort because so much of that is the conversation. Yeah. You know, Ellie and Joel, which again, you know, those conversations have been there for a long time about the relationship between those two. Sure. And, and there's an arc there as well that balances out between the kind of, you know, bridge between Joel going through those moments of feeling like he's, you're not redeemable anymore. Yeah. Um, but there also being that that play there between those two characters and, and the significance of the influence that that has on Ellie. You know, where do you think the, the kind of relationship lands with, with those two? I know we kind of get it in the end of the game, but I feel like the, you know, what, what do you kind of believe the, the influence was that, that, that Joe kind of left on Ellie in that, in that broader context? That's a really interesting question. Um, I think, you know, Joel represented, I think for 
uh, Joel represented, obviously, multifaceted, very deep relationship between those two. I think the guilt that Ellie feels about the decision she made before Joel's death, uh, you know, that is her drive. Like, that sense of self-flagellation and atonement, that is what's pushing her forward. They like, I didn't talk to this man who was my father figure. And maybe she was va uh, valid in that decision. Maybe she wasn't, but it, it's, it's chewing on her. Mm. And, you know, we ultimately see Joel as the kind of guy who didn't go after the people who killed his daughter, who isn't out for revenge. He does what he needs to do to get the job done. And then he's out, He, you know, and even Tommy says in the first act of the game, like Joel wouldn't go after Abby right now. He wouldn't, mm -hmm. he'd stay home, he'd protect the town. Um, but that's not necessarily who Joel was 20 years ago. And that's certainly not who Ellie is now. So the question becomes, mm. and uh, you know, our character team did a beautiful job evolving Ellie's costume. So you see, she sort of becomes Joel in a way where she's even wearing this coat in the last few scenes on the farm. Mm. Like, is she going to be able to take the wisdom of that relationship where, you know, two years later, Joel was still there for her, happy for her, loving her, wanting to be present and open for her. Is Ellie going to be able to take the positive lessons from Joel and not just the, this is how you torture somebody for information lessons. You know, it's like, yeah. That, and you also just blew my mind about the coat part. Cause I totally forgot about that. That was, I was oh, like, yeah. Oh, that's right. That's totally true. Um, yeah. Nazi, I want to, I want to jump to you really quick and, and talk about, you know, despite Peter Parker not really being present for most of the game, or at least most of Miles's adventure, you know, he kind of acts as this kind of guiding voice throughout the, throughout the city. You know, he pops up from here, here and there to kind of like give him some some advice you know how does how does peter's influence kind of help miles establish himself as his own hero oh man well he wants to be pete you know <laughs> miles miles definitely definitely looks up to pete as as big brother as like uncle as father figure you know with him losing his dad as well too kind of was the perfect timing for everything to you know merge merge together for that influence to take apart uh, to, 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 to take part. But um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think his influence is, is heavy on Miles because, you know, he definitely has his moments where, you know, he's like, okay, what would Pete do? What would Pete do in this moment? And, mm -hmm. um, and he definitely, he definitely wins at that because, you know, he definitely owns and steps into Pete's shoes and really like takes his own and, and handles it as, as, as a young man. But, um, you know, he's still learning, man. Like he's still, he's still learning. He still has his little, you know, bump bumps in the road, but Miles, Miles is learning, man. He's getting into his own. And, and I love it because, you know, we see him grow, you know, we see growth, mm -hmm. we see growth rather is, is we started off with Pete, you know, we, we saw the growth, but at the same time, we see like a little boy growing into this power as well too. So, you know, I love it, man. My, the influence is definitely heavy. Yeah. Yeah. It's it feels like the the conversations that they would be having if they were together through most of the game feels really really you know connected in that way. It feels like they actually are in each other's heads in, the, in a lot of different yeah, spaces. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's 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 definitely that that connection where um you know they they have a, a self awareness that you know mm. we are we are the same in, in in some ways and then different in in others, but um. You know, with with that being said, you know, he takes that and really steps into those shoes of, of becoming this 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 hero. So with um, with Pete, you know, telling him and guiding him, you know, he takes takes everything. But then also 
does his own thing with a grain of salt and then learns to go back to Pete, what Pete said. And then, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's definitely a process with, uh, with him, but he's growing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Darren, and, I'm and curious. Also with, okay. What's also pretty dope. It's like they're friends too. So, you know, they can, mm. they can kick in and go grab a, a slice of pizza and, and, you know, it's still that, still that type of friendship, you know? And See, I'll like, have to yeah. ask you after this, if, if Pete, and, and, and Miles fold their slices because they're in Harlem. Yeah. They don't <laughs> uh, that's, that's a huge it. part of the conversation in a real way. You got way. it. You got <laughs> it. Um, Darren, before, before, we, before we move over to giving away our actual award for, the, for this part, I have to know, you know, with, with all the runs in Hades and, and the characters kind of coming back and Zach coming, coming back and having new interactions with his friends and family, you know, how many hours of lines do you think you actually had to read for dialogue? And, and, and how many times did you tell Greg, enough is enough. I'm tired of doing these lines. Leave me alone so I can get some other stuff done. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know the actual hour count of all the lines sort of end to end, but uh, Zagreus has over 9,000, around 9,000 lines himself. Wow. Um, <laughs> and in the game, I think we have a total of around 22,000 lines of voiceover. Wow. Um, and you know, it, it was certainly, it was, it was a lot, but it was doled out over a three year period for Zagreus. Mm. So it was just, you know, the same way you eat a whale, you know, one bite at a time, <laughs> just, <you> just kind of, <laughs> this is the next I, bite. I will eat this bite now, you know, and you do it. And, and I, it wasn't. And it wasn't like, uh, I, at no point was I like, stop Greg, please. Because I was looking just like Greg was for opportunity, more opportunities to respond to stuff. The player was doing It's like, Oh, Oh, we need to have a fishing with that. Oh my God. We need to have like, uh, and we, Oh, we need this. Oh no, we need that. You know? And so we, we try to try to keep pushing on like every type of thing we could possibly think of for the game to respond to that the player might do whenever we thought of one of those, we just, we just record it. <laughs> I want to. I, I want to ask because the when when Hades was recommended to me about I don't know how long ago six months ago, um, yeah. a friend of mine said I've been playing it for thirty hours and I don't think I've heard a single line twice. No. And I was like, oh come on, please, <laughs> please, it's a small little game. And so then I started playing it, and lo and behold, <laughs> like <laughs> dozens of hours into it, I was like, I haven't heard the same line twice. Surely there's yeah. some sort of magical algorithm they have where they're recombining pieces, because Valhalla only has twenty five thousand lines, and it's yeah. a yeah, and plus another double uh, about another ten thousand for male and female choice for between the yeah. Avor male and female. But that's astounding, man. <laughs> yeah, and, and it was—it's just brute force not, and creativity. Yeah, brute force. It was just brute force, and then we track. You know, uh, we have a system that would track the lines that the, that the players already heard, and they're all sure. sort of. Is it not is it possible that lines can? Tri- is it possible for lines to trigger twice? Only a subset of lines that we allow to do that okay. like way late in the game, like some of the stuff that God said to you, but pretty much everything is not even allowed to play twice. Like I wanna, just... I want to break it. So how long do I have to play before <laughs> people stop talking? I mean, or I just think, start looping. <laughs> yeah, I think you know once you kind of gift get your sort of max relationship status with all the okay. characters and stuff. At that okay. point, then eventually you begin to see some some repeat, mostly in the like interactions with the gods when you run okay. into them in a run. I might tweet but, out. I might tweet out a, a YouTube challenge for this. See <laughs> see if somebody can play it long enough to. <laughs> but but even those lines, we have like a giant bucket 
of, nice. of a playlist. Yeah. And so it's like, you'll encounter them and you only hear from them like the first time you encounter them in a run. So the next time you'll hear that line is like 25 runs later or something. Okay. So, okay. so it's, it's going to, even once it starts repeating, it's going to be pretty widely cool. spaced. So you don't really yeah, yeah. notice hopefully. Okay. So that well, makes me yeah. feel like a slacker well for just having this one line that, that I'm, that I'm about to say right now, <laughs> which is, I'm super excited. We get a chance now to give away uh, our, our dice award for outstanding achievement in character. Uh, and the winner is Marvel's Spider-Man, Miles Morales. Congratulations team. Nicely done. Ben and I. Well done, very, man. very cool. Damn, well well, take a bow, man. Nice take work. A bow. Share, share a little, uh, share a couple <laughs> words for the folks at home. Uh, thank you all so much. First off, I would like to thank God because without him, this would have been possible. And I would also like to thank the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences. I would like to say I am very, very honored to be considered with my fellow nominees. I'm thrilled to accept this award on the behalf of all the hardworking people who brought Marvel's Spider-Man Miles Morales to life. And uh, I want to thank our, our writers, Ben Arfman and uh, Mary Kenny, our head animator, James Hamm, and our stunt crew, Jasuri Booker, Seth Austin and Ross Conestum. And a huge shout out to Jordan Holland, Dominique Batts, Darius Salary, Chris and Michael Carter, Jaharan Jackson, Khalil Dickerson, Sergio Heights, Alex Aligan, and Moses Abadego, and our creative director, Brian Horton, and everyone at Insomniac Games, Marvel Games, and Sony Interactive. Thank you all so much. Thank you so much for, for being here, and again, for, for sharing your wonderful works, words about the work you've done in this space. Your games are brilliant, and they're fantastic, and uh, again, everybody at home, uh, much love to you all for, for checking us out, and uh, we'll see you all very, very soon. The Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences is excited to share that the 2022 DICE Summit and DICE Awards will be returning in person to the gorgeous Mandalay Bay Resort and Casino and Delano Hotel in Las Vegas on February 22nd to 24th, 2022. We'll be celebrating the 25th anniversary of the DICE Awards and bringing together industry leaders to share their ideas about the many facets of the interactive entertainment industry. Stay tuned to www.interactive.org and our Twitter at official underscore AIAS for more details coming soon, including special anniversary rates. We can't wait to see you again.